Hi, everybody. Art Barter with the Servant Leadership Institute podcast today. We have a very special guest with us, Joel Manby. Uh, you may know him. He was in the news quite a bit when you were CEO of SeaWorld and got a lot of people's attention there. 25 years as CEO with different organizations, SeaWorld, Saab, Hurston Enterprises. What I've learned about you is you're a, a pretty good servant leader. So, uh, <laughs> Joel, great to have you on board today. Well, thanks, Art. I, uh, I'm so happy to be here. I've, I have followed you for a long time and certainly known about Servant Leadership Institute, and we are definitely kindred spirits. So looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, we are. We are. We're supposed to do this in December, but we had some COVID challenges. So I want to get right into it this morning. You wrote a book called Love Works. I think you, you mentioned about leading with love. And the yes. first thing I want to ask you is, is why love? <laughs> why love? Why love? Because uh, I think at our basic human core, all human beings desire to be loved. And I actually think it's very healthy to love others. And for me personally, it comes from my faith and that uh, Jesus said his number one commandment for all of us is to love others, love God and love others. But I would argue, even if a person wasn't of faith, uh, I, I still believe it's the best way to treat other human beings. And through that, as you know, Art, it, when you treat people with agape love, this is agape love, it's a verb, yep. it's not emotion. Yep. Uh, people respond with their best behavior. And and uh, I've seen over and over again, the companies we've acquired and put these love works processes in place, it turns cultures around. And so for me, it's because of my faith, but for others, even if you don't have that faith, it's, it works in business and that's reason enough to do it. What's been your experience when you first go into a, a, a new environment and start using the word love? What kind of reactions have you seen? Yeah, you know, we tend to use in, in our organizations, usually servant leadership. I, that was the title of the book because I wanted to get people's attention and there were, had been quite a few books on servant leadership, but I wanted to put a little spin to it. So what we do though, when we get to the root of why the word was picked, we, we picked love from first Corinthians 13. And it was when it was written in Greek, they used agape love. So when we go into organizations and they, they realize that we tell them that this was from Jesus. These, these were his words, but we can ask you to behave a certain way. We don't care how, what you believe. I mean, we do care, but we can't ask them to believe a certain way. Right. So we keep it very straightforward from that standpoint. And, you know, even when I was at Hershen, I, I'll never forget one lady who was a Muslim. And we optionally at the end would give a statue of Jesus washing Peter's feet as a sign of servant leadership. And when they went through our servant leadership course, she wanted that statue, even though it was optional. She wanted it in her class. She said, you know, we may not agree on who Jesus was, but there's no doubt the impact he had and his message of love was, was very powerful for that time in history. So it's, it was just an interesting story. Everyone doesn't necessarily agree on its source, but everyone agrees on its impact. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, people react different ways to the word love. They act different ways when you talk about faith. But my guess is people really understood your real motive was about helping people. Right. And you talk about your goal today is, is helping people understand the challenges they're going to face in leadership and how, how to conquer that. So you've, you've had a few challenges in your career, from what I understand. But before we get into that, I want to share with my audience, Joel's had a, a, 
a big impact. You mentioned First uh, Corinthians 13. And one of the things in there that really hit me, and I'm going through a struggle, especially during COVID times, is it says bear all things, that we bear all things and that we don't get ramped up, excited. Those are my words, not the Bible's words, but that's how I interpret it about getting frustrated with COVID. And I went through a period late last year where I was, I was just tired of hearing the word COVID is the reason why we couldn't get things done. You know, I just frustrated with it. And um, you wanted me to that. And it said, you know, Art, you need to bear through this. You need to get through this. And I think that's what I admire about some of the things you did. Now, well, so one of your you. big challenges that was very, very public was uh, when you were CEO of SeaWorld. That's when I first started to follow you and watch you. And I went, Joel, is he, he falls in the servant leadership category and some of the things you did from the outside. So you had a very interesting challenge there. You had an, an organization that wasn't quite in your camp. Um, <laughs> and uh, But you managed to come together in a very public environment in an interview on CBS. Can you share with us a little bit about what you went through to, to get to that point? Absolutely. So for those listeners who don't know the story, basically SeaWorld uh, came under attack by animal activist groups. And there was a, a documentary called Blackfish that came out that was very negative about the company. And the protesters would protest our park every week. Uh, we were just inundated with negative news on all over the place, especially Twitter and some of the social media sites. So long story short, our sales cut uh, almost in half at the SeaWorld parks. Uh, well, our EBITDA, our cash flow cut in half, not our sales, but that's in a fixed cost business. We were really in trouble. And um, they brought me in at that time. Uh, the previous CEO was was asked to, to move on. And I think no fault of his own, but Blackfish was very damaging. And so we had to turn the situation around. So our first step was to make actions to show the public that we could be trusted and, and take actions. And we, the list is too long, but I think the one very interesting story is we reached out or I reached out to one of our quote unquote enemies, which was the Humane Society of the United States. And unlike PETA, PETA, I, I honestly see as a radical, kind of almost a terrorist organization, whereas Humane Society did things, I think, in the right way. They tried to legislate issues and, and talk to government and do it appropriately versus through really over means. So I got to know the CEO really quietly because both organizations would not have trusted us being together. And we formed a friendship and found that by dialoguing with each other and not just monologuing our hate mantra from each company, uh, we found that we had a lot more in common about animal welfare and what should be done in this world to try to protect endangered species then we disagreed. And so over the course of time, when we were about to get legislated out in California, I mean, the, the, when you counted the votes, this California legislature was probably going to outlaw the ability to breed killer whales. We decided to just make a blanket announcement and go across our other two parks in the whole country. But Wayne came on air with me, getting to your question about Gail King and the CBS Good Morning Show. He right. came on with me to say, hey, these are good people and they can be trusted. And so when we made this announcement that we were going to stop whale breeding and have more natural shows and uh, some other decisions we made, he came alongside us so that we were supported in that decision. And it's just such a great example of it's like Republican and Democrat coming together to solve very difficult issues. And I think it's a good example of love working where 
we trusted each other and we, we got some great things done for animal welfare. And it actually helped turn SeaWorld's trustworthiness around. And we went from being 65% untrustworthy to 65% trustworthy. And our sales started picking up and our brand image started picking up and it, it went up from there. But it was, it was a great example of don't be uh, too negative to people. Give, give them a chance and learn what they're really thinking. Yeah, and what uh, I admired was it appeared like you started that conversation behind the scenes and probably with a lot of humility. Well, a humility and actually some fear, too, because the board didn't know at the time, because I, I just wanted to see where it went first before I and I thought I might get shut down without even investigating it. Yeah, it, we had to we had to trust each other when if we had asked our organizations, they would have said, don't go there. They would have said, you can't trust SeaWorld. And that's just not true. It's just like Democrats and Republicans not being willing to converse in, in a healthy way. Yeah. Now, the one thing that stood out to me, I think the individuals in CBS were actually surprised that you both were on the set at the same time. Yeah. Gail King, who, of course, is uh, very, very famous and has made some news herself lately. But she said, hey, this is really admirable. And I, I do wish uh, our friends in Washington would look at issues more like you guys are looking at issues. Because the truth is, labels divide us, whereas when we really talk about the issues, we, we, I, I still believe firmly we tend to agree as Americans on a lot more than we disagree. I don't know that we can look for unity per se, but we can always look for respectful disagreement as we go through things. This is a little bit of a faith question, if you don't mind. You know, we're, we're taught not to conform to the world and, and we kind of look at things differently, do things a little bit differently. And sometimes that that world pressure and our desire to to do things through love, helping people, et cetera, they clash together, especially when it comes to quarterly profits and returns and results, et cetera. Um, you have any input for our listeners on how to balance those two out? Yes. And I will say I do feel it's easier to to implement love works quickly in a private enterprise. I, I will admit that. I've, I've been, I've done it two places at Hershend, 13 years, Dolly Parton's Parks. We also own the Harlem Globetrotters. Those are brands your listeners may recognize. But admittedly, although it's still difficult and it still takes three years, no matter what, to turn a culture from unhealthy to a more agape love culture, uh, even in the public company at SeaWorld, we were able to move the ball forward. Our our engagement scores of our employees went up every year. And when the engagement scores go up, turnover goes down, guest experience improves, profitability goes up. So when you get those kind of numbers, you can tell the analysts, this is what's happening and why. And this is why we pay a dollar more an hour because we want this kind of employee with this kind of engagement level. But admittedly, that, you know, in, in the middle of the battleship turnaround at SeaWorld, it was extremely difficult. Um, I told the board and I told the analysts right up front it was going to take three years. Unfortunately, with constant board turnover, I had over 100 board turnover, two board chairmen. That time frame shifted down for me, which was my bad luck. But I will tell you, our numbers from a servant leadership standpoint were moving forward very strong, as was I said, our sales growth and our profitability. So it did work. It just you can't do it immediately. And you need to get that time given to you in a public company situation, but it, it can work in both. 
Yeah, you can't do it in 90 days, right? No, you can't. Yeah, and yeah. When you have a bad quarter and the analysts are all want, want to let go of the CEO because you miss a quarter by a nickel, yeah, that's the biggest thing I, I just had to test about Wall Street. It's harder to have a longer term vision. Um, you know, once you are established, like it's easy now for Amazon to say we're going to pay two bucks more an hour, but when they were or do free shipping, but uh -huh. in the early days, you know, <laughs> they, everybody criticized Amazon for that. So, but it's a good question. You use the word experiences and you introduced that. I think you introduced that concept at SeaWorld. And I, I remember you talking once about experiences with customers and experience with employees. Was my takeaway correct on that? Did you kind of introduce that into SeaWorld in a, in a different light? Yeah. So, and I appreciate that's a great memory. Yeah. I think all companies who are in the consumer sector, they have some kind of guest survey. They have some, and usually some kind of employee survey. Um, but what most organizations I have found fail to do in their culture transmit transitions and transformations, everyone puts a plaque up on the wall art, right? They have their seven values. It's on the wall. It's in the annual report. But after that, there's very little discussion and certainly no accountability to it. So it's fine if the CEO breaks the values and it is, you know, loses their temper or whatever, whatever your value set is. So what we put in, I, and this is very well laid out in the book, it's, it's basically do goals versus be goals. All organizations have do goals. You have to hit profit targets, sales targets, cash flow targets, et cetera. What we did is put in beagles. What kind of leader do you want to be? And our definition of that servant leader was seven words, paraphrased from 1 Corinthians 13. And that's what love works is all about. But the, the important thing is not just the words themselves and what they meant and the behaviors they represent. It's also we spent, we measured them. We held people accountable to them in annual reviews. Even our pay structure supported the beagles. In your annual review, if you hit all your numbers, but you weren't the right kind of leader and you ran everybody over and people didn't want to work for you, you would get dinged for that. And, right. you know, because you we, you and I talked about it, you do that in your company. Most companies talk servant leadership or they talk values, but they spend no time measuring it, talking about reinforcing it. And therefore, in most people's minds, it's all about the financial numbers, not the people numbers. Does that make right. sense? It, it, it does. It, and, and I agree with you. The private community is a lot easier to do that in because yes. you can make the decisions that if you want to teach people to grow through slowing things down a little bit, you don't have to worry about that quarterly result, that 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 shareholder impact. Or, you know, if you got if you have a big bank loan and a lot of debt creates something different in a private environment. But, yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to implement a servant led culture in a public company. And yet. You've done it. Cheryl Batchelder's done it. There's all kinds of examples yeah, of companies that have done it. And they, you, you find a way to meet people where they are in your organization and then go make a change. Yeah. It certainly and, helps to have a board support as well. And, and, and uh, I know I was on Cheryl's board and she had a lot of board support. That's really helpful. She and I have talked about it. I, I lack that to some degree at SeaWorld. About half probably support it and half didn't give a rip. They just wanted the numbers tomorrow. And so there, there's definitely a tension art between, especially private equity that's putting, they just want to flip as quickly as possible. And, you know, when I say it's going to take three years, the financial numbers follow it. And I, and I, I tell you, I've, I have the data to show Hershen Entertainment and Seawell when, when we were humming, especially at Hershen, 
our numbers compared to anybody's as far as growth, margins, especially return on investment, our return on investment was better than any of our public company competitors like Six Flags or, or Cedar Fair. So I, I want to make sure the audience hears because sometimes people think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be nice or I'm going to be kinder to my employees or care more about them, but the numbers are going to suffer. And that's fundamentally untrue if you focus on it the correct way. I, I will add that I think the experience I had in, in my private company was you still had to make payroll while you're trying to change the culture, right? You still had a responsibility for the families. Yep. And I tell people that's one of the toughest things I've done as a leader is change a culture of a company that's been around for 25, 30 years when we bought it into something different because they already have a culture. They've, they've, they've survived and, and done okay. And uh, we came in and wanted to change things. And we couldn't ask our employees to go on hold with a paycheck uh, while we changed the culture, you know? It's, um, it's like yeah, rebuilding a plane while you're flying it. And it's, it's, you're right. It's much tougher I, because we, we built Saturn from scratch when it was in the auto industry. That was an easier task than that Hershen where it had to acquire companies and turn the cultures around. Like, like I said earlier, it's a three-year process, but it's consistently, it consistently turned these, these cultures around. Let's uh, talk a little bit about unity. It seems to be a word that's going around quite a bit right now. The people who are serious about trying to change that are, I think, are few and far between, unfortunately. I think there's more grandstanding in front of cameras today in our political world than trying to pull people together. But you talked about unity, and then you kind of had a little change in what that meant. Can you kind of share that journey over the last, what was it, last six or, or 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I have always sought for unity in my mind, but as I watched this election cycle and I saw how divided our country is and continues to be, and uh, when President Biden, he gave a wonderful uh, inauguration address and it was made me emotional. On the other hand, as he kept talking about unity and then he came out with, you know, 20 plus executive orders, I started thinking he's really not being consistent with what he says. I don't want to make this a political discussion because certainly President Trump did all of his own damage in a different set of ways. So it's not a political point. It's that I think we should focus not on unity. I mean, maybe unity as Americans. And let's try to say, where can we be? unanimous, which is probably being American, probably uh, wanting to rid our, our country of COVID, uh, having a free opportunity for everyone or equal opportunity for everyone, I should say. We could probably agree on those things, but there are going to be a lot of details that we disagree. So I believe the goal isn't unity. The goal is civil disagreement. And that's really how our whole political system is set up. And it's not just majority gets to make all the rules. There are many things put in place in our constitution that specifically make it hard for the majority to just run over the minority because that can be very damaging as well. And so that's why there is a filibuster. That's why there is a two thirds majority to, to override a veto. Things like this that are put in place so that we can civilly disagree, but at least we have a society where we're, we're represented in those government situations. And I think that's true in all of our lives, whether it's trying to have unity at work with our employees, you're not going to agree on everything, but you can have civil and open and honest debate. And one of the words in Love Works, the book is being truthful. And I actually find art in all my, if you ask me of all seven words, 
which one I feel is the most difficult, at least for me, it has been truthfulness over the years. Not, not whether you're obviously are the books right or are you doing something dishonest or not. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about telling people exactly how they did. Are they performing well or not? If not, why? And being truthful so there's no surprises if they ever were let go or had some kind of pay reduction or something like that. We've got to be honest. And we also have to be very honest with how the company is doing so that they feel trust, trusting of, of leadership. And so I, I just think truthfulness is one of the most important words of all. And sometimes we get away from that and therefore we get away from uh, civil disagreement. Yeah, you know, I, I, my dad taught me once to, you know, he, he said, son, tell the truth. And he said, because when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember your lies, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I always remembered that as a leader, just be honest with people. And, you know, I, I know one of the biggest challenges I see with leaders have is being able to admit that they don't have the answer. But you know what? We're going to do everything we can to make sure you're safe. It's, the COVID is a per perfect example in our company. We don't have all the answers. Right. We're not doctors. We don't know all the answers, but we're going to do everything we can to make our work environment safe. I don't have all the answers there. And that's so, what sometimes, sometimes employees need to hear is that you don't have all the answers. Yeah. I agree completely. I, I think, you know, as leaders, we tend to think we have to provide certainty to our employees that it will be okay, or no matter what, the company is going to survive. I don't think we can give certainty during this COVID situation. We can give clarity to yes. each day I show up and I'm being clear to you as here's what we know, here's what we're doing about it. And it may change tomorrow. And I, I think employees have a lot more confidence to hear you say that and that you don't have all the answers and talk openly about it. Then they'll see right through the, through the charade of, of, of having certainty. And I think giving clarity is another aspect of, of truthfulness and it develops trust, which is another word of love uh, from the book. It's, it's just having patience, having kindness, forgiveness, trustworthiness, truthfulness, being forgiving. These are powerful words, powerful verbs that are hard to do in a crisis. So I agree with you. It's We, we have to be honest. You talk about seeking common ground, and I think that's what you did with uh, the Humane Society and the situation you had at SeaWorld. But you also talk about the difference between seeking to be understood or seeking to understand. Yeah. Can you talk, talk to our, our listeners a little bit about the difference there? Well, that, and that's really just part of good listening and, and being patient as part of the word patience uh, in our book. And it's a little bit uh, paraphrased from old Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I want to give him credit. He talked about seek to understand, not to be understood. And, and so many times in our culture today, leaders think they have to have all the answers, as you said earlier, and they come into meetings really with their point of view, and they're there to sell their point of view, which lacks empowerment of their people and lacks trust in their people. But with our kind of macho leadership society, we think CEOs have to have all the answers. I learned from Jack Hershen, and I think it's because I went from auto industry where I was 20 years in it before I, be, well, I was, no, I was 15 years in it before I became a CEO, and then I was CEO for five years. Whereas in the theme park industry, I came in as a CEO and I realized right away, I better listen a lot more than I talk. And, and Jack taught me to go around the room. This is a wonderful tidbit for your listeners that, that shows um, to, to the point of listening to 
understand. I would lay out a set of issues and that we had to decide on, but then go around the room, starting with the lowest people on the totem pole first, get their opinions and then go up the ladder because people are so political, they'll, they'll say what they think their boss wants to hear to some degree. We may yeah. not admit it, but it's true. And then once the discussion and the dialogue was had from all different opinions and the decision was made, Jack taught me, I would always go back around the room and explain to people why we're not going in the direction they wanted to go. And it showed that I listened to them and I listened to why they felt the way they did, but here's why we're not going in that direction. And it was just a wonderful way that I think showed people I trusted their opinion, even though I disagreed with their conclusion and, and why. And sometimes because new information came out in the meeting. But that's one really good example of, to me of listening to be to to understand, not to be understood. Yeah, I think it makes better decisions. So, I, Joel, have there been times where you have taken all the information and you've made what I call a command decision where you didn't have all the buy in from everybody around you? Oh, yeah. Look, consensus is almost impossible. Um, when I was at Saturn, we tried to have a consensus culture and it took, a, it took a lot longer to make decisions, but it also, the implementation was rapid because everybody was on board. But I tell you, when, when I do make command decisions like that, and if I go around the room, like I told you I would do, and people still disagree, I would hear them out. But you know, if the, if the building's on fire or you're losing cash flow, and sometimes I would have to say, guys, women and guys, when we leave this room, we're unified. And if we're not, it's, it's, it's attuned to mutiny and we, we just can't have it. And if, if you can't be on the team, it's, it's time to, to leave. And I, you know, I probably did that once or twice in my whole career, but sometimes people can't stay on the bus, but it's just part, it's part of organizations, but 99, 9, 10% of the time they stayed and they got on board. Yep. So how do we take love works and uh, civil disagreement you talk about? How do we turn that into behaviors we can live with every day and, and make a difference in this world? Well, I'm going to answer that. But if you don't mind, I'm also going to tell you quickly how I got there, because this is an important setup to answer your question. What I want your listeners to hear, anybody who's listening to your show either is interested in servant leadership or they, they kind of are interested, but they still might be skeptical. And I, I want people to know that for 20 years when I was in the auto industry and I, I was a believer, so I knew how I wanted to live out my faith in the workplace, but I did not see it modeled in the auto industry. Mm -hmm. I came to the theme park industry and I saw it modeled for the Hershens. That's, that's where I first understood that it could happen. What I think is important here is people by going to your organization, or reading my book, they see, and all your resources, they see that servant leadership can work and that they see it modeled. And that's why I love what you're doing because you're modeling it in your own businesses and you're sharing it with others. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book. So the first thing, I, that's why it sets up because people may be cynical, but trust, trust Art and I, it does work and the numbers do work. Now, as far as taking it from words into action, you know, to me, it, it takes defining what those words are. And uh, we would actually have three or four behaviors for every single word. As just one example, patience is our first word of our seven. One of the descriptors was to praise in public and admonish in private. So if we had a leader who was admonishing people publicly and embarrassing them and you know hurting their pride, 
to a point that it destroyed them, we'd call them out on it. That was a value. That was a behavior. Um, so once you define the behaviors, we'd measure them. And then we would follow up with people after meetings, after decisions, after annual reviews. And then, like I said earlier, put, put your money to it, put compensation plans around it to at least reinforce it to some degree. And I think that's how you make it come to life. I think I said earlier, but we would spend just as much time on our people numbers reviews as our financial reviews at Hershen. And that's pretty amazing in today's world. It is. It's it's difficult, especially if you're losing, if you're losing cash flow. You know, yeah, the yeah, money yeah. coming out the door. It might be it might be seventy percent on the numbers. So I I don't want to sound naive. There there are times when the building's on fire that you have to put out the fire and you have to save the organization and maybe the culture has to to wait a little bit. But that's only in a turnaround. If the culture is already in place, it's the best possible culture to have when we're going through difficult times like this. I will right. say that. Uh, one, one last question. You, you go down this journey of love and you, you get the organization to start thinking about it, maybe behaving in it. Are there any times that you felt like you had to take a step back in order to take two steps forward in that transformation? Well, you asked that in a way that, that has great wisdom and uh, a slyness like you know <laughs> you've been there. You've sorry, been there. sorry, Joel. Yeah, um, and you already know the answer is yes. Uh, sometimes, for the greater good, you have to take a step backwards. But I wouldn't say they were off, often purposeful. But sometimes we did take a step backwards. I'm thinking of a few times at SeaWorld where. We were burning cash and had a lot, a lot of debt, you know, billion six in debt. And we could could certainly see going out of business if something wasn't corrected. Um, and I had to make three huge layoff rounds of $300 million that just tore my heart out. And I hate, I hated every, I hate that stuff. And I yeah. hate destroying people's lives. But to me, that's taking a step back on the culture. But, you know, the company has to survive or no one will be employed. So that's kind of the, the greater good, which is not politically correct to talk about, but it's the truth. And we, we SeaWorld survived. And as a result, 20,000 people have jobs, but probably 5,000 used to be 25,000. So 5,000 lost their jobs, but 20,000 were able to stay Right, and, and we didn't go bankrupt. So that's a big example to me of going backward to have a future. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Any any words of wisdom you want to leave with our audience today, Joel? Well, I, it's a, a shameless, shameless plug, but if anyone has interest in this concept of the seven words and how they apply, the book's available on Amazon, or uh, I do have a website, joelmanby.com, that has takes the same concepts and applies it to our, our crisis situation um, and how to lead through this crisis. And so that's just a free... Uh, video series that people can get if they go on joelmanby.com. And I I just so believe in the concept that I don't mind talking about it. And I so believe in what you're doing. I just appreciate you having me on and encourage people to, to be servant leaders because I think for people who care, it's the only way to lead. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. It's, it's um, we really don't have an option. It, there isn't, isn't an option for us. Uh, I also want to tell people, uh, search on Joel's name in uh, YouTube. There's all kinds of things out there in YouTube uh, on Joel, and you'll learn a lot about him. He has a great heart. Are you talking about the Johnny Cash video where I imitated uh, 
Johnny Cashin did instead of Folsom prison, it we're stuck in COVID prison. And it, no, no, I, I haven't got that one yet, but I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done. But if you just put <laughs> if you just put COVID nineteen Joel Manby, I think it pops up and okay, I got it. It probably, it probably <laughs> more hits than any of my business quotes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> anyway, it, it is pretty. Fun. It's pretty funny. You'll get a kick out of it. Anyway, I did another one at Christmas time that wasn't as good, but uh, the Johnny Cash one was pretty funny. How are, how are you doing with this uh, transformation into this world of not traveling, not going to big events, not, uh, you know, doing everything through Zoom or, or Teams or whatever? I struggle with it just like I think everybody else does. But um, here's my, my mantra. I take a breath and I show gratitude to what I have and what God has given us. And then turn to try to help another person because when you get depressed or you get frustrated. I, every time I turn, even if it's a handwritten note to somebody to encourage them, it's funny how it takes the focus off our frustration, our anxiety. And I think it's a biblical concept too, but just that's, that's what I do is I breathe. I, I thank God for all the blessings I do have. And then I turn around and take my mind off myself, which is not easy for us humans to do, but that's the formula I've, I've found. That is our biggest challenge is to think of others first instead of ourselves. And especially in tough times like this, it's, it's really easy to go, what was me? And, you know, yeah. I don't have this, I don't have that instead of focusing on what we do have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that our, our, our folks are suffering just as much or, or more as we are. And, uh, and that's what, that's what makes leadership. Sometimes it's, it's a great calling, but it can also be extremely exhausting. And especially when you're the number one person, all right, everybody. Love works. We've got uh, Joel here to, to reinforce that. I love what you're doing. Joel, keep it up. Keep influencing other people's lives. I know you're going to continue to influence mine. So well, likewise, I really am glad you're out there and I'm glad we discovered each other. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Uh, make sure you get uh, Joel's book. Go search him out on the Internet and YouTube. And I got to go find that Johnny Cash video now. So uh, <laughs> all right, Joel, thanks. Thanks a lot uh, for being with us. Uh, today. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Our newest publication, Equipped to Serve 100 Ways to Help the Ones You Lead by Art Barter and Carol Malinsky, is now available online through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Visit ServantLeadershipInstitute.com for logs, webinars, and more, all dedicated to servant leadership. Have an amazing day, and we will see you on the next episode.